Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Mark Kuhn, joined as always by my oldest brother, Michael Kuhn. I'm here. And my middle brother, Matthew Kuhn. Me too. We have the distinct pleasure on this podcast to welcome Charles Davis, NFL analyst for Fox Sports. How you doing, Charles? I'm doing great. It's nice to talk with you three. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Charles, um, I feel so fortunate to have met you many years ago. And um, as we're looking at this podcast, normally we talk a whole lot about the Cleveland Browns and we dive into details and we're in the dog days of summer where there's not a whole lot to talk about. So the timing of this is awesome because we can branch out of just drilling in like nine layers deep on the Browns and get a little bit more of a broader perspective on the NFL from you. We're certainly going to hit some Browns topics, but... Um, I think we have some other questions for you, and then hit the brown stuff at the end if that works for you. That sounds fantastic. Appreciate it. Yeah. So the one thing that I want to make sure the listeners get to here is the broad range of jobs that you have held in your time <laughs> since stopping playing football. I know that you played yeah. at the University of Tennessee. You uh, had a brief stint in the NFL, and have done all Very kinds. Brief. All- <laughs> <laughs> How brief was it, Charles? It was it was brief enough that you know how they say when people say it with certain jobs or in sports, you say, well, he had a cup of coffee in the big leagues, you know, yeah. he had a very short stint. My my cup was probably a splash and a <laughs> That's how short. Oh, that's so great. But um, you certainly made the most out of uh, your opportunities. I, it, you read your bio, and it like, contains things like assistant athletic director, Stanford University, PGA Tour uh, tournament director. You worked your way through sports radio down there in Orlando, held just about every single color analyst job you could possibly have in football. <laughs> and now where you're working the number two job for Fox – and the voice of Madden. So can you give us any sort of idea how you made it made it to here? No, <laughs> that's a great one. Um, you know, it's so funny with all the different experiences I've had. At one point, my, my own father said, any chance that every time you're changing a job, it's because you just can't hold a job? curious. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, you know, my dad's a longtime teacher and coach, you know, when you teach and coach for 40 years, you know, there's some consistency in your world, right? (laughs) You know, because he's a high school teacher and coach. This isn't, you know, college where you're moving around job to job to job. Now, he had a number of them, but he taught at the same school for darn near 35 years. So that just tells you, you know, you have that type of consistency. How did I get here? You know, without boring everyone, I was recommended by a friend to an executive at Fox Sports South way back when. And he had my card and information for two years, and then he got jammed up right before a season and said, hey, would you be interested in you know, doing a couple of football games as an analyst? And you know, one thing led to another, and that was the start of it, 1997. First game I ever did was uh, Memphis State at Mississippi State. And it was memorable because Mississippi State kicked a field goal at the buzzer to win it. Nice. Um, they had had a running back who was a great player named Kiefer McGee, who unfortunately had drowned in a swimming pool accident that summer. So that first game, was a lot of emotion going into it to win it for Kiefer, mm-hmm. and they did. And then that night, 
Princess Di was in the car wreck with Dodie Alpha Ed, and she passed away. And I was up all night watching all the the stuff. And I was like, well, no one's gonna remember I did a football game today, but I'm certainly gonna remember this day. <laughs> no because, kidding. You know, what had happened, you know? Wow. And, and that was, just, I believe it was August 31, 1997. Somewhere, I think it was right around that time frame. But anyway. So it just kind of started from there, and then I, I, I you know, you you get involved in this thing and you commentate, and like many, I caught the bug for it. It's like, oh wow, this is fun. I'd like to do this. I'd like to do more. And I kept working and pushing and calling people and asking for opportunities, and 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 I was lucky enough that where I was living in Orlando, Florida, and working for Disney at the time, there were opportunities. So I ended up doing along the way. Not just what my specialty is, which is football, but I did basketball. You know, I did AAU basketball, boys and girls. Mm-hmm. I did college, bas- high school basketball, boys and girls. I did AAU basketball, I mean, um, college basketball, men and women. And I did conferences like the ACC, the SEC, the Big East, Conference USA, the old Conference USA, which was a monster. That was Louisville, oh, yeah. Cincinnati. Our, our know, parents went to the University of Cincinnati, so we've oh, followed then, Conference then USA totally for many know. years. Yeah. yeah, Conference USA was a beast. I mean, <laughs> if you were, Memphis State was in there. I mean, when you worked your way through, remember, it had been the old Metro and then the great Midwest, and then it became Conference USA. But anyway, I did baseball. You know, from Little League all the way up through college. In fact, I was the color analyst for the SEC Game of the Week for Fox Sports South one season. Um, you know, because I had to fill in for Larry Conley, who had done it for years, and he was ill that spring, and I filled in for an entire season for him. And that was a whole lot of fun. Um, I was doing, you know, uh, college softball. You know, uh, you know, I did, I did women's volleyball on the collegiate level. So I what mean, you're I saying was is, enough, like, I did a lot of things, yes, and I and I didn't just, you know, like the stuff I was doing, I was doing games as an analyst, not just as a sideline person, because I did three years of the NCAA uh, basketball tournament men's for CBS as a sideline reporter. Uh-huh. But even prior to that, I was calling Conference USA, Big East, you know, games as an analyst. I remember one year, <laughs> I flew to Philadelphia. And I did Villanova, West Virginia. John Beeline, the head coach of Michigan, was at West Virginia then, and they were really playing well. Villanova, Matt, you know, uh, Jay Wright, of course, has won two national titles now. It was a top-five matchup in the country. Both teams in the top five, if I'm not mistaken. And I was the color analyst for the game. <laughs> so I guess the only reason I say that, it sounds like I'm being bra- you know, a lot of bragging here. That's not my point. My point is, I've been really fortunate that people gave me opportunities to work on my craft in a variety of sports, a variety of venues. You know, I've been an analyst, a color, re- a sideline reporter. I've actually done play-by-play for a few games, and if anyone finds those tapes, destroy them immediately. <laughs> Not your finest moment? Whatever. They were horrible. Okay, horrible. They should be buried somewhere. And I'm not saying what I do now is great. But compared to that, I should go to the Hall of Fame because that was just awful. That's, That's awful. hilarious. But, you know, I, I've had so many great opportunities and so many ways to grow in my craft, make my mistakes, learn and go. And to be here where I am now, I don't know that even I, in my wildest dreams, I'm not sure I saw that me culminating at this point right now. And I don't think I'm done. That's not, you know, in my mind, I'm not done yet. But to be the number two analyst for Fox NFL coverage Wow, that, that's probably bigger than what anyone would have ever thought, including myself. That's awesome. 
So um, one of the coolest things that I think you're doing right now is you are the voice, one of the voices, of Madden. Mm-hmm. You're in some pretty great company mm-hmm. there. John Madden, Chris Collinsworth, Phil Sims, Charles Davis, all in the same sentence. Um, how, did, how did you get involved <laughs> in this? Like, how did that come about? Did you ever think that's something you'd be interested in, or did they contact you? Yeah, that you know, when you rip, rip off those names and finish with mine, that's like the old Sesame Street thing. What, what, what doesn't belong here? <laughs> uh, what thing, right, what was that old song, What Thing Is Not Like The Other? <laughs> one, of the, yeah, one of these things is not like the other. Exactly. Well, you know, when you put my name in with that company, not like the other. Which, for the listeners, the listeners need to understand that those literally are the only four color analysts that Madden has ever had. Like, that's That's not just throwing Charles in there with, you know, some other of the big names and there's a bunch of others in between. Those are the four. Well, Well, think about it, too. Coach Madden, iconic, obviously Hall of Fame coach, Hall of Fame broadcaster. Chris Collinsworth was a tremendous football player. People people may not remember him the way they should. Go Gators. Chris was a pro. Yeah, listen, Chris was an All-American receiver at Florida. What people may not know is that Chris won the state 100-yard dash in high school, or maybe it was 100 meters, I don't know what it was at the time, at Astronaut High in Titusville before he went to the University of Florida. He could roll now, okay? Plus, he was 6'5 when it was all said and done. He was a Pro Bowl receiver in the NFL, now obviously a Hall of Fame broadcaster. Phil Sims is going to be, you know, a guy that, you know, let's face it, Borderline Hall of Fame for his statistics as a player, but one of the toughest quarterbacks that played the game. Won a couple of Super Bowl titles, one where he got to play in the game and one where he could not. Um, you know, he's 22 or 25 in a game he played against Denver for, for the Super Bowl and won the whole thing. And had a tr- long, distinguished Hall of Fame career as a broadcaster. So I'm an incredible company. It came about where they were looking for someone to, to do it. I got contacted about engaging my interest. I said, are you kidding me? The Madden franchise? Of course I'd be interested in that. <laughs> yeah, no brain. And went, yeah, went in and did a couple of auditions and was lucky enough to get the job. And I worked with a man named Brandon Gauden. Brandon is a graduate of Butler. At one point, Brandon was the voice of Butler for one of the final four seasons that they had in, in, in basketball, one of the teams, times they played for a national championship. Then he went to Georgia Tech as the voice of Georgia Tech for a few years. And now he currently is the number two guy in the Big Ten Network for football, does a ton of basketball for Big Ten Network and Fox Sports, um, FS1. And he does the NCAA basketball tournament and other select games for Westwood One, both you know football, NFL football, college football, and basketball as a radio guy. So he's doing great, and I'm fortunate enough to have him as a partner. And it's a blast. And the last thing I will say is I have a son who's now 20, and when I got the job, I think he was 16, pushing 17. <laughs> And I told him I got the Madden job. as the first time I ever got street cred from the young man. So <laughs> everything else I did was okay, but this, this was big. That's fantastic. <laughs> so tell me a little bit, and the listeners, because we probably wouldn't be able to hear this on our own time, but can you provide a little insight to how the process works? Like, what, like, do you go in there and read every single player's name one by one, <laughs> all in one day? Do they split it up for you, or what's that like? Great question. Most of the stuff is split up. Um, there are times when we have to do a rip of different things, just depending on what has to be done at the time. But overall, we work through the process. Quarterbacks, receivers, running backs, you know, tight ends, that sort of a thing. Um, on the defensive side, pass rushers, because, you know, the guys who get the sacks, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. um, the, the linebackers, some of the significant linebackers, the secondary guys, you know, so – 
it, it works through that way, and a lot of times my partner has to call off the name and really rip through, but I may have to offer some descriptions. Gotcha. The best way to put the, the best way to describe the process is they will give us a script, but the script is much more of a concept and suggestions than it is just read this verbatim. So they will tell us third and five. Here's the situation, guys. Third and five, balls on the plus forty. Offense has scored its last two times. All right, this drive has lasted 20, 20, 20 or more yards. Last play was a, a completed pass. Blah 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 blah. Go. So you're not even. And wait so a second. My, so you're not even watching something. You're just no, like they, they just no like video. describe it, and you have to say, There's okay, no this is what I would say in that scenario. Yeah, that's kind of tough. It's on paper. It's on paper. We have you know people who are in the in the studio with us to help monitor it and help flesh things out for us if we have questions. But then they turn it over to Brandon, and he'll set the stage. You know, we'll know who's playing. You know, it might be particular teams. It may not. But typically it's not because that allows it to play for any game that's being played. And then he'll set it up and they'll tell me, hey, Charles, you need your response in. This situation we needed in five to seven. This situation we needed 10 to 12 seconds. This one you guys can go longer because we're going to a break. They give us all the possible scenarios and we run through them multiple times. But I think the thing that is that has helped advance the game, and it has nothing to do with the people who were before me because it wasn't part of the game for you know, Chris Collinsworth, Bill Sims, and, and, and Coach Madden. But now we do what they call live updates. Mm-hmm. And what those are is every Monday and Tuesday during the season, starting in preseason, Brandon and I meet in the studio, and we go through every game that was played that weekend and flesh some things out and do commentary for those games, those players, you know, those teams. Oh, wow. And by Wednesday or Thursday of that week, if you are in the Madden you know, family franchise and you have a game, you can download it into your game and have fresh, live, updated commentary. So, so it used to be, obviously, you bought the game in August. You didn't have new commentary till the next August. Yeah. <laughs> what was on there was on there was on there. And now, when you have it, every Monday and Tuesday, we go in and do that. And so every week during the season, there's fresh commentary about the games, the players updating That's if a guy crazy. got hurt, if a guy had a breakout season, you know, some rookie that emerged we had never heard of, all those things we can get into the game immediately. And I think that that's been a great thing. So all the credit goes to the people at Madden, the part of the Madden franchise who put all that together. We are just the voices of it. That's so crazy, though. I mean, that is an insane amount of work. I think most people would assume that you kind of go in there and have a few, like, real heavy days of, you know, recording your voice, doing all the different stuff, like maybe this time of year. And then that's it, and you don't touch it for another year. But that is like a year-round job for you, pretty much, especially during yeah. the football season. It, it is for the most part. Um, we, you know, we get we get a nice hiatus in the summertime. I'm not going to act like you know we're in there grinding every single day. I mean, that would be, <laughs> be misleading it. But we do start we do start in August when the preseason begins, and we will go obviously, as I said, at least every Monday and Tuesday, maybe an extra day. If one's necessary but usually it's monday tuesday during the season and we grind through those days and uh once the season is over then we start picking up and really on tuesdays of every week during the season we're already starting to advance towards the next year's game with more commentary updating some things freshening up some things adding some stuff whatever 
So we're doing both. We're doing the present year and then what will be the next year's game already into it. And then once we hit January, February on from there, we work through our schedule because Brandon's got a lot of stuff to do. I've still got some games going on. But once we get through all of that, then we really get heavy until we conclude somewhere in, somewhere in the summer, and then we're off, and get off until the next year. Yeah, so it's, it sounds like during the football season, you are just going 100 miles an hour. So my question is related to that. In addition to calling games for Fox, you also work for the NFL Network on their draft coverage. When do you yeah. switch gears, and how do you keep up with it all if you're doing the Madden and prepping to call your game the next week? When do you get a chance to evaluate college prospects? Um, you try your best, and I'm not going to sit here and try and, and, and snow anyone at all. You try your best to keep up with what's going on in the college game. You might sneak a tape or two in there during the week to watch certain kids, but the truth of the matter is I'm playing a little bit of catch-up. You know, I'm trying yep. to stay abreast of the college game, abreast of who's playing well, you know, talking to different people about how, you know, guys we heard in preseason, how they were doing, that sort of thing. But then I will really start to hit it in January because my NFL season ends, you know, first two weeks of, you know, early in January, um, first week of the playoffs, whatever that is, I'm done then with that obligation. And now we're into the college all-star games, you know, the postseason games, things of that nature. And that's what I'm playing a lot of catch-up with tape watching. I'm not overly surprised by names. I, I'm able to do a pretty decent job of keeping up with the names, but being able to watch them throughout. Now, I will say this summer I'm doing a better job of getting ahead a little bit. I'm watching a lot more this summer than I have in the previous few. And so just I to think get that ready that for the 2019 yeah, draft? I'm watching a lot of these. Yeah, I'm watching a lot of these seniors junior tape. Yeah. And then there will be a few guys that I expect, if they have the year we expect to come out, that I'm focusing on as well and said I better get a little tape in on them. So everything won't be an absolute surprise when I hit January. There have been some years, I'm not going to lie to you, where January is like, oh, God, I got to start. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get going. And so I'm playing catch up with guys like Mike Mayock and Daniel Jeremiah, the guys that I work with, Bucky Brooks know that that's what they do pretty much year-round. So trying to catch up to them because they do such a fantastic job. I don't want to embarrass myself or cheapen the product that they put out there. No, absolutely. Um, you work at Fox Sports with so many – their NFL coverage, they have so many interesting personalities and the, the people <laughs> that they have there. Um, do you have any good behind-the-scenes stories? I know you used to work on the, the post-game show – um, now you're obviously yeah. in the booth calling calling games. What's what's kind of like a, a memory that stands out that you just kind of had to roll your eyes and laugh or or something that <laughs> you'll always find special. I'm... Okay, I, I could. I, how about this? Because I've been with Fox Sports since 2006. I, I used to do their college games. We used to have the the BCS coverage for yep. the longest time, which was was really odd for the poor college football fan because all year long they'd watch ESPN and then come bowl time and 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 champion, national championship time. Hey, guess what? The Fox guys have it. Who are the Fox guys? We haven't yeah. seen them all year. <laughs> and so it was a little bit of an oddity, but it was, I was fortunate to be a part of it. So we would always do a a show, you know, the, you know the show you have now to announce which teams made it into the BCS, just like you do yeah. now for the college football playoff. Mm -hmm. So we would have a show and what have you. And one year, um, Coach Barry Switzer from Oklahoma, the great coach there, was going to be part of our coverage. And he and Jimmy Johnson go way back, as you might imagine. So they were there 
to do it. I was going to be a part of it as the lead lead analyst for the, for the Fox stuff, of course, and right on down the line. So we're getting ready to do the show, okay? Mm-hmm. So I come rolling into the studio, and we've got you know we've got time. I mean, I'm going to get there in plenty of time. Make sure we're not rushing, what have you. And I walk in, see a couple. Of, hey, how you doing? And here comes Coach Switzer around the corner. And, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's got like a sweatsuit on or something like that. He hadn't got dressed for the show yet. But the thing that got me was he was carrying a plate. And in his plate was what I called a, a Dagwood Bumstead sandwich. Now, I don't know if you read the what? comics. There's a comic called Blondie. Yes. Okay. And her husband, Dagwood Bumstead, was he's a skinny guy, but he was always eating. And he would make these sandwiches. He'd go to the refrigerator in his comic, and this sandwich would be piled like 18 decks high, okay? I mean, these monster sandwiches. And it's funny in the comics. Well, Coach Switzer's got one, probably like a triple-decker sandwich, okay? And I'm just looking at this thing like, oh, my God. And he goes, and he always calls me Charlie. He goes, hey, Charlie. I say, hey, Coach, how you doing? He goes, ah, good to see you. He said, now, look here. I know you know everything there there is to know about not just this show, but about college football this year. And, you know, I, you know, I shoot, I kind of watch, but shoot. What do I know about all this? He goes, here's how it's going to work for, for this show. He said, I'm going to go knock out this sandwich right here. I want you to meet me in 45 minutes at such and such a place, and you're going to get me ready. All right, thanks a lot, Charlie. And it wasn't a, you know, is that okay? Will, you, will that work? What? No, he was a head coach. He's always been a head coach. He gave me an order, and that was that. And so 45 minutes later, I was at the appointed place. All right, Coach, here we go. Here's how we're going to do it, blah, 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 blah. And we go through all the stuff, okay, and they're going to talk about this. And these two teams are in, and, yep, they're the – no, 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 the coaches' names are. Yep, I'm yeah. And so we go through all the stuff, and then we get on the show, and he's just ripping it off like he's got this thing down pat. And I remember thinking to myself partway through, I said, you know, that sounds like a lot. That sounds a lot like what I talked to him about, and it was. I mean, it's everything we talked about. He just rolled it right out. And there was one time I think someone asked a question, and they looked at me for it, and I heard I hear down the row, "I'll take that." And Coach Switzer jumped in and took the question. It was outstanding. <laughs> outstanding. Coach Switzer is a quick study. That's pretty impressive, actually. All things considered. Well, that's just that's just normal for these coaches. They are very smart people, very intelligent. They always had so much on their plate. And they got very – look, listen, the top guys, you know what they get very used to? Having people who will download things for them and give them things in shorthand yeah. because they've got a million things going on. And for them to be able to, as you just said, to take it in, have it, do it, go on from there. And then, of course, they had their own, you know, stories. I mean, half the show was, was, was Coach Switzer and Jimmy Johnson going back and forth about their times. And, hey, you remember that guy back and said, oh, yeah, it's just like that guy. And, it, you know, and they would have great stories to go along with it, and, and they added a lot. But, yeah, that, that was it. Yeah, I want you to come on. Give me 45. I'm going to knock out this sandwich. You meet me in 45 minutes and get me ready. Yes, sir. I'll yeah. be right there. All right. <laughs> That's an amazing story. Um, switching gears a little bit, I want to focus on the NFL and um, this coming season. Something that – has kind of been front of mind for a lot of fans and I'm, I'm sure people in your profession too, is the new rule changes with the, um, the the contact with the helmet rule. And it's not really clear how it's going to be enforced. Um, It it could have a tremendous effect on the game. Obviously safety is 
such a, a forefront concern, um, and rightly so. What is your What are your thoughts on what this is going to look like, how it's going to affect the game, and just kind of what the NFL's trying to do and if it could work? Yeah, it's a great question, and here's where, here's where we're all wondering how it's going to work because I think that if we take the worst-case scenario of this, we've got a lousy product on Sundays, man. Yeah. And what I mean by that is if the officiating is going to be absolute letter of the law, then I don't know how many plays we can have where you don't throw a flag for, for helmets hitting because you guys have seen football your whole life. I don't care if it's Pop Warner, <laughs> you know, mid-level, high school, modified, college, pro. How many times have you seen a line of scrimmage where the ball snapped and when they go in that contact between offensive line and defensive lineman, the heads don't get involved? And I'm not talking about guys trying to ram each other. I'm just talking about just your normal play because of where they come out of their stances. They're going for leverage, right? you got to stay low. And it, it, it's hand-to-hand combat, right? So, so helmets naturally contact each other. But, again, remember, if, you, if we pull out those tapes, I guarantee you guys can go back and pull 100 plays from last year. And I would, you know, I would dare say you're not going to find more than two, three plays max. And I'm going to bet out of the 100 you find, I bet you on 100 plays within the interior line, you're not going to be able to show me conclusively that someone led with their head. Right? The helmets coming together was part of the collision and contact, but not where a guy just sends it like we're watching a pro wrestling move, right? <laughs> and he takes it and he headbutts a guy to make a move. It just doesn't work that way. So as long as we're not doing that and taking the rule to a level that we shouldn't have, I think we'll be okay. Because let's face it, the last, what, five, seven years, there's been such an increased emphasis on taking the head out of the game that a lot of the kids have adjusted to it. A lot of the players in the NFL are adjusting to it. The only trouble we run into, when I say the only, one of the biggest challenges we have is when you do try to take your head out of it, sometimes as a defender, when you go to make a play and you have that strike zone, they call it, and the reason they call it strike zone is just like baseball, right? Where's your strike zone in baseball, right? Armpits to the knees, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. So that's the strike zone you're looking for as a player. But these receivers are so good and agile that you go for the strike zone. What do the receivers do? They curl up and protect themselves. What happens a lot when you curl yourself up? Your head naturally comes where? That's Down. And now guess what? It gets into the play. Mm-hmm. The guy didn't aim for it. The defender didn't aim for it. Now I'm not going to sit here and tell you that every single time we did it right. Okay, that's Again, <laughs> folly. But for the most part, guys are trying to do it right. Go back to the AFC Championship game last year. I think it was Barry Church, the safety for Jacksonville, with I believe it was Gronk on a catch. And he goes to strike him in his chest. Gronk's head comes down, contacts Barry Church's head, 15-yard penalty for helmet-to-helmet contact on Jacksonville. Yeah, and It's a big play. Okay, so we are going to have those, but everyone understands it's almost like you're going to have to live with that because we're trying to make the game safer and take the head out of it. So that's my only worry and concern. I think my trust factor is that the league and the officials understand this is how we have to officiate it. Otherwise, we'll never get a snap off. And as long as we do that, I don't think it'll appreciably hurt or change the game. If it goes the doomsday scenario, 
oh, we got a problem on our hands yeah. because you can throw a flag on every play for that. Yeah. Um, so as much as we love picking your mind, Charles, on all things football, um, sure. this is a Browns podcast, so we want to ask you a few poignant Browns questions. Um, and you were working for the NFL made, you Network. You made it sound like since we're going to talk about the Browns, we're not going to talk about football. <laughs> I, I no, that, no, we're going to. I know that's not how you meant it. That so used to be the sure case, but <laughs> I, I'm, I'm optimistic that that's slowly changing. Not next year, hopefully. Yeah. Um, I am too. So you were working for the NFL Network on um, draft day. Um, were you yeah. surprised in the direction that the Browns went, picking Baker Mayfield number one overall? Are there any inside stories you heard about that, or was that the consensus that morning? I mean, it hadn't been leading up to it. You picked Sam Darnold. The Browns would take Sam Darnold in yeah, your mock I draft. But I what, think most of us did. Yeah, but what's your perspective on that? A um, couple things very quickly. Let's just talk about the pick itself. Baker Mayfield absolutely fits John Dorsey, the GM, to a P, Okay. John Dorsey loves kids who compete like crazy. Baker does that. He loves kids who have that creativity. Baker has that. He loves kids who are leaders and people rally around them. It doesn't take much. If you just Google Baker in Oklahoma, I think you'll find, you know, very quickly a ton of examples of that. And, in fact, uh, my my wife's family, a lot of them are from Oklahoma. Michael, you know this about about, about the family. We have some common relatives in Oklahoma. Right, we certainly do, and they are OU to the core, right? Yep. I remember when Baker transferred there, because I'd, I'd done some of his games at Texas Tech. I was wondering this. Did you call any of his games? I did. I called games of his at Texas Tech. Okay. And by the time he got to Oklahoma and was eligible, I was back in the NFL. So okay. I didn't get to call any of his Oklahoma games. But I called his games at Texas Tech, and you have to remember, when Baker went to Texas Tech, he went as a walk-on. All right? He had a chance to scholarship at a few places. I think Washington State was one. Florida Atlantic was one, but he wanted to stay in the state of Texas and play. He really wanted to go to Oklahoma, but he just knew that that was the spot for him was was right now with Texas Tech. And he went there as a walk-on in August in three and a half weeks and won the job and started the first game of the season as the quarterback as a walk-on, which is unheard of in Division oh, yeah. One football. Yeah. So he's always had the capability, not just as a player, but the type of guy that kids rally around. And so when he transferred out and went to Oklahoma, I remember telling my telling our relatives, I said, hey, your new starting quarterback when he's eligible is this kid who transferred from Texas Tech. And I remember them saying, I don't know about that because we've got Trevor Knight. And I said, yeah, and he's a heck of an athlete and he's a heck of a player. And if I, don't, if I remember correctly, Trevor was being highly touted. And then during that time frame, you remember he had that monster game against Alabama in the Sugar in uh, what bowl was it? It's one of the bowl games. The Trevor Knight and game. They, yeah, the Trevor yeah. Knight. Trevor Knight did with Oklahoma, and they smacked the heck out of Alabama. And Trevor Knight looked like a future All Pro. And they were like, you know, he's pretty good. I don't know about you know. I know you like you guys. Like guys, <laughs> I'm just telling you, your quarterback is going to be named Baker Mayfield. And that spring. All right, Baker, you find the video. You Google the video. There's a video of Baker Mayfield with the Oklahoma kids. You know how a lot of teams get to have those little dance-off things? Mm-hmm. Find that video of that dance-off with Oklahoma and Baker Mayfield and just watch the perimeter of players when Baker is doing his thing. He won the job before he ever took a snap. Oh, Charles, I'm a Browns fan. I watch that video every night before I go to bed. <laughs> it puts me to sleep. <laughs> So, so you absolutely know the one I'm talking yeah, about, Yeah, I right? do. I do. Everyone loves him. 
Okay, and you saw? Did you see the? You see the looks in the players' eyes? Yeah, they can't get enough. Like there's, there's our quarterback. Yeah. And then, of course, he went and did it on the field as well. He's always had that about him. You know, those kids believe in him. Remember when he got suspended last year and he couldn't start against, you know, after the Kansas incident when they yeah. wouldn't shake his hand and, you know, he did a few things that you can't do on national television and said <laughs> a few words. Can't even do so that. He doesn't start they, the next week, right? Can't even do that on a podcast. <laughs> or, yeah, that's a, that, you know, something that's an excellent point. All right. The FCC <laughs> will get us no matter where we are. But anyway, you remember the next week. He, he, they decided not to start him in the game. He was going to play, but he wasn't going to start. Uh-huh. So remember, he's going to play. He's in uniform. He's just not going to start. Do you remember what his Oklahoma teammates did that game that day at the coin toss? They, they brought his jersey out to the coin toss. They walked they? his jersey out like he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> and they were memorializing him. You remember that? Yeah, yeah, you're right. I remember I was wa- I was watching that game. I was I was I thought it was a little over the top. Game, right? And I'm watching this. I was like, when they walked his jersey out, I had to sound down because I was studying. And I remember the first thought I had was, "Oh my God, did Baker die yesterday? <laughs> did I did I did I miss that?" And they were just that was just, but that was the depth of what they felt for him that he was their leader, and they thought, "Hey, we we need our leader with us." So all I'm saying is, look, he's got to go play. But all that, you know, those are the qualities that John Dorsey was looking for. The size, you know, that became an issue. But, you know, the way Russell Wilson has played, the way Drew Brees has played, they've helped pave the way. You know, we've had guys who have gotten it done who haven't been, you know, supersized guys. We've seen it time and time again, and they're playing well in the NFL. He has more than enough arm. You know, he has, he has all the smarts. But trust me on this one, too. He's a guy who's in the film room early. He's the guy laughed out of the facility. He will be in the weight room with his teammates. He doesn't shirk his duties. He has all of those things. All that being said, you just couldn't. You, it's just hard to wrap your mind around the idea that he would be the number one pick in the draft. We haven't had a number one pick in the draft at quarterback with his measurements, right? right. Russell Wilson got, got an A grade on everything you could have coming out of college except height. And he went in the third round. So his play has helped cut down some of those barriers for guys like Baker. So I will tell you this, and, and I'll stop here, but tr- truth in advertising, the fr- you know, I ended up doing like four mock drafts, okay? Mm-hmm. The first mock draft I did, the first name I wrote in was Baker Mayfield, Cleveland Browns, number one pick. And then I said, you know, I got through my mock and I went, no way, can't do it, can't do it, can't do it. <laughs> Changed it up, what have you. I think I put Darnold in and what have you. Then later on, I actually did one where I said, you know, the Browns may very well just go get the best player and then get another quarterback at four. And I wrote in Saquon Barkley, and I left it there. People lost their mind. Oh, my God. I get it, but you just can't do that. you got to get him at four, not at one. So the last draft, (laughs) I wrote in Baker Mayfield again because I knew he fit John Dorsey. I've been around the league long enough. I know some of these GMs pretty well. He fit, and I wrote it in, and right at the moment of truth, I hit the chicken switch. <laughs> and I came up and put, and put Sam Darnold down, and I'm still kicking myself to this day. So, you know, it's one of those tales that, you know, you always tell later, oh, yeah, I knew, you know. It's kind of like people saying, you know, I had a first-round grade on Tom Brady. Well, why didn't you draft him? Well, <laughs> you know, it, 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 it sounds the same. I'm just telling you guys, and, and Michael can vouch for me, I wrote it in twice. But I am telling you the honest truth. I didn't have enough guts and conviction to leave it there. <laughs> and, if I, and, and if I had, I would have looked really smart. 
but I knew probably the day before that it was actually going to happen. I'd heard the rumors the last couple of days. I wasn't sure I absolutely believed him. And then I got one from someone that I absolutely have full trust in. And he's like, this is happening. And it happened, and it's a heck of a deal. And I think for the Browns, getting him at one, that was one thing. He's a quarterback they had conviction in, okay? Yeah. The pick at four was the one that I think really people were going, oh, okay, now what are we doing here? Because remember how the draft unfolded. You had to go get the quarterback you liked first if you're Cleveland. Because you couldn't wait till four, because the, your top two could very well, maybe even three could be gone. Oh, yeah. Because the draft could have easily gone. Cleveland, let's say you took Barkley at one, right? Best player in the draft. It would have made sense. We did not want that jo- to happen, for the record. We were but very just, glad that but didn't just, happen. But just think if they had, okay? Yep. At two, now you force the hand of the Giants. Because the Giants want Barkley badly. I don't think they would have taken Quentin Nelson, the guard at Notre Dame, at two, or even Bradley Chubb, the defensive end from NC State, which makes sense because the Giants are a pass-rushing franchise. Yep. But I think they would have gone quarterback there mm-hmm. because Sam Darnold would have fell into their lap. Okay, So then you know, I think Darnold was the guy that they had targeted. So I think they would have taken Darnold at two. The Jets, we knew, had already made up, made up their mind to take quarterback. That's why they moved up to three. Well, in that case, if Darnold was off the board – they would have taken Baker Mayfield at three. Yeah. I think you're right. Because he absolutely fit them. Broadway Baker, and, and they loved him, et cetera. They just like Darnold a little bit better. Then you're at four. Okay? Now what quarterback are you taking? Okay? Yeah. Are you taking Rosen. Josh Allen? Are you taking Josh Rosen? See where I'm going with this? Yeah. Lamar Jackson you weren't going that high with. Okay? So that's why they had to go have conviction in their quarterback who they wanted, and take him at the top, and they did. But when you got to four, now it looked like a no-brainer, right? You you drafted Miles Mm -hmm. Garrett last year. Go get Bradley Chubb. Keep pumping up the pass rush for Greg Williams. Well, my understanding is Greg Williams, defense quarter, had a big hand in this, and he thinks that the way the NFL is played now with the ball of the guy's hands quicker, in a lot of ways your corners have bigger influence maybe than than your pass rushers. And that's why you got Denzel Ward. Oh, I think Denzel you got to deal with a great player, great player, and I understand it. And think of your division. Every team drafts to win its division. So, are the Pittsburgh Steelers a bunch of high flyers with some guys who can go get the football? Yes, yep. they better have some guys who can cover them, right? Cincinnati's got AJ Green. Yeah. Okay, they're hoping John Ross comes along. And Baltimore will keep trying to draft people. <laughs> I was waiting for the Baltimore punchline. Right, because they keep missing. You know, Rashad Perryman was supposed to be that guy. He hasn't lived up to it yet. They've got to keep finding those guys. But, you know, it's a a tough deal. But Denzel Ward became the guy. So it's an interesting look because the last time you went quarterback corner, both in the first round, do you remember who it was? Oh, yeah. It was Johnny – well, it was Justin Gilbert at number nine or maybe number eight. Johnny Manziel at at 22. Oh, man. Bad year. So, So now you've gone quarterback corner again. But there are much higher hopes this time because the numbers were at one and four. You know how yeah. the saying goes, second time's the charm. Yeah. <laughs> second, third, fifth, whatever. <laughs> so, Charles, we are optimistic, and we know that time's running short. But with the addition of uh, Manziel and Ward and a bunch of these guys that John Dorsey yeah. has brought on, like the talent level for the Cleveland Browns is certainly at a much higher level than it was for our season last year. And no doubt. Yes, There's we were 0-16, but it was a pretty Played competitive a lot of team games. 
And it was, yeah. they played like a 3-13 and 13 team. They were no by no means a great team. But they probably and weren't. And 3-13, they hurt some other people. Yeah. 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 And so, I but, would agree. And we're at a – we've taken some huge steps since then. But we're like – we're Browns fans, and we constantly are optimistic. I mean, we've been watching this team our entire lives – thinking that next yeah. year is going to be the year that we like take <laughs> that step and break through and actually walk towards contention. Like we tell us yeah. we tell ourselves that every year. I feel like this is different, but I'm also deep into my Browns fandom. So, can you yeah. like inject some sensibility into <laughs> what's going on here and give us a somewhat objective <laughs> view as somebody that's viewing this from a from a few degrees removed? Yeah, I think I can, and I'm going to need your help, okay? Yeah. All right? So when I call for it, I want you guys to help me out with this year's Browns draft, all right? And I'll go first round to, you know, we already covered first round. Who they draft stack? Who they draft third? Right? Okay, you ready? Yeah. We're going to so go around I the go, table I'll here. Say, I'll, I'll, say, I'll say go give it to me, and here's where we are. But before we get there, go back to last year's draft. Yep. First round, all right? First round, you had three picks. Miles Garrett, defensive end, yep. right? Jabril Peppers, yep. cornerback, I mean, uh, safety, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And David Njoku, tight end. Yep. yep. I think you hit on all three picks, okay? I Peppers think that is, that was we'll really see, big. but Njoku almost seems like a lock to be a big-time tight yeah. end. And, and, and I think Peppers is going to be an impact player for you. I really do. I think that over you – remember with him at Michigan, he played everywhere. Yep. So sometimes when you're the jack of all trades, you don't get to master them in the NFL. In college, he was still better than everyone else. In the NFL, he's got to master some of those places, right? Yep. He will. Ma- I think he will in time. I really do, and I think it'll be sooner rather than later. I think he's a dynamic player. So those were just the, the you know the first round draft picks. I thought that they did a nice job setting the tone there. I thought that overall with the team, you know. Rebuilding the offensive line a couple of years ago, trying to get that right. I thought they took some good steps toward doing it. Obviously, now losing Joe Thomas is a, is a killer. But, you know, guy gave his all for Cleveland and did it. Yep. Josh Gordon, if he's back and, and you don't lose him again to the stuff that he's lost before, is going to be a beast this year. He's oh, one yeah. of the finest-looking athletes I've ever seen. My biggest problem with him, like Cleveland, is is he going to be dependable for you? Will Corey Coleman jump up and make some plays for you? You know, the kid out of Florida, Antonio Callaway. Yeah, yep. you remember him beating Ooh, Tennessee just, a few years ago, probably, don't you? Yes, yeah, so you, you had to throw that in there. Didn't you? <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I will tell you that he would not have been on my draft board based on all the stuff he went through at Florida. But if I, and I'm rooting for him. But I'm just, you know, I'm the type of guy's like, look, after a while, <laughs> you know, I don't have that many strikes for you. But Cleveland feels like something good is there. If he lives up to his capabilities that's a steal for you an absolute steal because that guy is talented as all get out first round now, talent? let's go into this year huh first round talent? he, he would have been he would have he would have been he wouldn't have been considered in the first round i think he probably would have gone in the second just because remember he played with some pretty shaky quarterbacking mm-hmm. so his numbers and things weren't all that great at times but god the talent was on on the board if he had had no off-field issues i bet you he would have been a first round pick he was, that, he was that talented of a player. Okay, so let's go into this year. We already mentioned Mayfield at one. Well, the beauty is you don't have to rush him because Tyrod Taylor is more than capable. Mm-hmm. He went to the playoffs last year with Buffalo, so you're covered there. Your running back situation, right, with Duke Johnson, 
right? Yep. And then who'd you draft this year? Nick Chubb. Nick Chubb. That's a, that's a big time addition right there, right? Mm-hmm. So so you you got that. I think who's who's that? Third? You got a third runner. Carlos Hyde. Carlos Hyde, who, if when healthy, can eat carries. All right, big bumping type of a back. So you've got a little bit of everything. Duke's going to catch it out of the backfield for you. Carlos is going to thump it inside the tackles and eat carries if he doesn't get hurt. And I think Nick Chubb can give you both things for it. And I just think that that's a really nice combo. Okay? Yeah. If you go if you go in and, and look at it now, and defensively with Greg Williams, I think your linebacking core is really good with Jamie Collins. I think that Joe Schobert continues to be underrated, even though he went to the Pro Bowl last year. Christian Kirksey. Mm-hmm. The secondary is getting better. And we just I picked up that, Michael you know, Kendricks, Charles, last yep, week. Yep, Michael Kendricks, so I think he's a heck of a player. Yep. Okay, can, can run, can make plays. I, I just think that the optimism's there. But here's here, now let's go through your draft. So we had one and four, right? Yep. Who'd you take in the second round? We took Austin Corbett with the first pick, offensive lineman from Nevada. Then Nick Chubb. Was that second. not a need? Was that not a need for you? Oh, absolutely. We'll see if he can play left okay. tackle. That's the big question mark. I think he's. That's going to be the question. Yeah. Personally, I think he's better inside. Personally, I think he's a better guard. But if he has to play left tackle, I think he can survive out there. I think he's better inside, and we'll see how the Browns end up having to do it. Who'd you get on the rest of the Who was your third round pick? Chad Thomas. Huh? Chad, Chad Thomas, Thomas, the, the kid, defensive end. The big kid starter. out of Miami yeah. who will who, kick inside and play some three techniques for you and also rush the passer when, when, when you go all out for the pass rush. Fourth round? Antonio Callaway. Antonio Callaway. Fifth round? Avery, the linebacker out of Memphis. Yep, and, and I'm going to tell you, have you seen his build? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I actually don't, don't, go into, don't go in the weight room with that cat. Yeah, he's a fire okay? hydrant. <laughs> He is a fire hydrant, but he was a very productive player. And you have such depth at the linebacker position that think of it this way. If he comes in and plays well enough that you want to keep him, you've got some guys who can actually bring you some value if you, if you need to trade people. Yep. Think of it that way. Okay. So all I'm saying is the optimism is there. I know it's easy to try and pump it up in the offseason. Here's where the issue kicks in. They've got to learn how to win again. You oh, mentioned yeah. it earlier. Should not have been 0-16 last year. They had chances to win a number of games. Didn't know how to close. So it's vital in this first month of the NFL season that you find a way to win a game or two. Because I think if that happens, I'm not going to say all of a sudden you win 10 or 12 games. But what will happen is now you're not looking in the fourth quarter with one eye on the scoreboard going, how are we going to blow it this week, guys? Because <laughs> yeah. that's that's where they are right now. It's they, the mentality. Oh, every they week, need... hey, we got a chance. Yeah. Yep. Got to find a way. And if you find a way early, terrific. Now, listen, Hugh Jackson, I tell everyone I'm biased. I coached with Hugh at the University of the Pacific. I've known Hugh since I was 24 years old. I'm a big fan of watching his ascent. He has done something that really no other coach probably in league history has done, which is go 1-31 and and keep his job. (laughs) That's true. And I'm not saying it to be, you know, you know what, but it just doesn't happen even under right circumstances. Well, it happened here. If they can come out of September, early October, and somehow get out of the gate 2-2, and I think that he's going to have a chance to be there a little bit longer. The hard part to be at 0-4 is just your owner is going to be like, how do we keep selling this? You know, mm-hmm. that's how, how do we keep saying this? And don't forget, he has a brand new GM in John Dorsey who didn't hire him. Yeah. So that makes things even a little more, bit more difficult. And you open with Pittsburgh. 
And then so we somehow get you can beat Pittsburgh right out of the gate. You got Pittsburgh, New Orleans. It's a brutal, brutal start to your deal. But it's the NFL, and every year is a new year, right? New Orleans last year won their division. Prior to that, what, they've been 7-9 and nine, like three years in a row? Oh, yeah. Philadelphia won the Super Bowl last year. Where were they the year before? Oh, that's right. They weren't even in the playoffs. Yeah. So this happen. is what happens in this league. A lot can happen, and again, I'm not saying you're going to be in the playoffs next year. I think that that's just that's too big of a jump. <laughs> <laughs> can you? But, <laughs> but can you be competitive? I think that there's no doubt you're competitive last year. Now, can you win some of those games and be competitive? I think the answer is yes, and I'm eager to watch it all happen. But I know Tyrod's there to be the starter now. I still think that Baker Mayfield plays before this year is out. And I'm not sure he plays only if all hope is gone. I think he may play earlier than that. So wait, you think if we have say a 500 or so record, you know, near the sec- around the second half of the season, they'll still let Baker play? I-, I wouldn't surprise me. It just wouldn't surprise me. He's not the type of kid that, how do I say it, makes you want to have patience with him. He's the type of kid that after a while you're like, I want to get him on the field. Right. And you know, it, it may not have any reflection on how well Tyrod's doing or not doing. It may just very simply be, we got to get this kid on the field. That's my own personal Poor opinion. Poor Tyrod. Yeah. And, 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 and here's, the, here's the last reason I say that, guys. Go back and examine the last 10 years of, of the NFL drafting first-round quarterbacks and tell me how long all of them have sat. Oh, it's crazy. I heard this stat the other day. I think the last, like, 13 that were taken number one, 10 of them started on week one. Yeah. I, I mean, mean it, it's just, it's not like when I was a kid. When I was a kid and you got drafted a quarterback, you were expected to sit two or three seasons. Yeah. Not now. Now if you sit two or three games, people wonder what's going on. Like Eli Manning, I don't think he started until like game eight, game nine, when Kurt Warner was there. Josh Freeman, when he went to Tampa Bay, was somewhere around eight, nine, ten before he got his first start. Matt Ryan started game one. Joe Flacco started game one. <laughs> You know, Peyton Manning started game one. I can go on and on. Your stat was, 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 was perfect there. When you get drafted in the first round, you get on the field sooner rather than later, no matter what the circumstance. Remember when uh, Blake Bortles got drafted? You remember what, what Jacksonville said? Oh, he's going to sit this year. We're going to play Chad Henney, and we're going to bring him <laughs> along slow. Right. He started, he started game four. Yep. And, yeah. I, and to this day, I tease my Jacksonville friends and say, so you wasted three games waiting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, no, it's true. Deshaun, Deshaun Watson last year with with Houston. Remember, they said that we're not going to start him game one. We're starting Tom Savage. <laughs> halftime, halftime of the first game. Uh, Deshaun, take it. <laughs> halftime. I was like, you know, I know what you're trying to do. I get it. But if you draft a guy in the first round, your patience level isn't extraordinarily high. Andy Dalton started game one. Cam Newton started game one, and both of them started game one. On the lockout year with no OTAs or mini camps, first round quarterbacks don't sit. Russell Wilson was drafted in the third round, expected to sit behind Matt Flynn, a huge free agent. He started game one. Man, so, oh man, that's all I'm telling you. I, look, Tyrod could very well start all 16. He's more than capable. It's just my experience and the numbers we're talking about. They don't tend to lead to that, do they? So the thing that I'm interested to see, though, is that the other quarterback options you're listing, and I agree with you, but 
Chad Henney and Tom Savage are nowhere near the caliber of quarterback that Tyrod is. And when you also layer in the fact that Hugh Jackson is on the hot seat, and there's no doubt that that's yep. the case, and you have to assume that he's making the decisions on who's playing and who's not, he seems to be incentivized to take the safer bet. And, <laughs> he, he, and that he, would be Tyrod does. Taylor, you would think. And so it's gonna. He, he, I feel like does. it's going to be this rub of, like, taking that safe option versus, like, looking towards the future. And if you're the coach that doesn't know if he's going to be here in the future, you have to imagine that's going to affect things. How do you see that playing I out? Think, I think that's a great point and a great scenario. I'm going to play devil's advocate with you, okay? Yeah. Only because it's, it's something to mull over. But I think your reasoning makes perfect sense. Let me throw this at you. Hughes, and Hughes obviously one in 31. He's got to win some games, right? Yeah. But this entire time he's been trying to work with the new GM and make sure that they are synced up. You know one way you can do that? Hey, Mr. GM, tell you what. If we go with this Mayfield kid early and just have to, you know, absorb the bumps and bruises along the way, what do you think? You may very well have a GM in your corner as a, going to the owner saying, you know something, we got to give him a little more time. He's trying to get my boy going as opposed to he's trying to win for himself. And guess what? That doesn't work so well because Tyrod's got to beat those guys. You're right. Tyrod has now demonstrated better than Chad Henney, better than, you know, these guys we talked about. Where was Tyrod the first five years of his career? Sitting behind Joe Flacco. Sitting behind Joe Flacco. So the, 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 the view of Tyrod around the league is a very positive view. But it's also not the view of a guy who's entrenched. Does that make sense? Oh, for sure. Because the guy, the guy took Buffalo to the playoffs for the first time in 17 years last year, and he's in Cleveland. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's crazy. They did dirty. And we're happy to have him. Let's you know? be clear about this. We are very, very happy to have him. So, so, so you just don't know how this quarterbacking game's going to go. And look at what Buffalo did. They hired, they signed AJ McCarron who's been chomping at the bit to be a starter, right? He was looking for an opportunity. He was excited. He signed as a free agent. Poor guy. And what Buffalo do with the number seven pick? Drafted Josh Allen. Yep. I don't know so, if either so one of those guys is going to McC- work out. You're like, A.J. McCarron's like, well, that didn't last long. Now did it. Yeah. But he's going to be a hard guy to get out of that lineup because I think he's going to play pretty well for them. And I think Buffalo's trying to do the same thing that we're talking about with Cleveland. They're trying to nurse their young quarterback through for a while before they have to make a move with him. And A.J. McCarron, I think, is going to make it difficult to make that move. But remember, he's on a one-year contract like Mike Glennon was last year. You remember the $18 million? Eh, it's just money. Let's get Trubisky in there. <laughs> you know, it's just money. And it'd be the same thing with McCarron. You know, I think it can be the same thing with Sam Bradford and Josh Rosen in Arizona. You know, okay, we're paying him $20 million, but he does he not on the books pass this year. So maybe they end up with Rosen earlier if things don't go well. It's that sort of a thing. I just know that my experience over the last 10 years and my gut, tell, not my gut, just my experience and what my eyes have seen, if you draft a quarterback in the first round, teams tend to find a way to play him. The last mm-hmm. first-round quarterback, I remember, that sat for a while with Steve McNair. Oh, and maybe I'm Aaron wrong. Rogers, Aaron Rodgers. Aaron Rodgers sat for what? One three season? years. He sat three. Oh, that's right. He sat for three. But he was behind McNair the Hall of Famer. So, yeah. And, and McNair sat for two. 
you just don't get it very often. If it, look, if Aaron Rodgers is drafted today anywhere but behind Brett Favre, he starts the season opener. Oh, yeah, you sure. think so. I completely agree with you. All right, Charles, we're going to let you off the hook. We really appreciate you taking the time, especially in the middle of your dead period of the NFL. I hope you're uh, getting a good chance to recharge the batteries and enjoying some time with the I family. am. Well, talking with you guys helps me recharge them. It's a pretty good gig right there. So <laughs> I appreciate that. And thanks for having me on. Thanks, Charles. Bye now. All right. Thank you. You guys take care. Well, that was fantastic. Charles is the best. In case you guys didn't notice, uh, Charles and Michael have a close personal relationship. <laughs> <laughs> Charles is awesome because you cannot talk to him for literally years and you still feel like you're super close with him. Um, yeah. To be clear, since it was only vaguely like discussed on there, Charles and I share a brother-in-law, and so he is technically my brother-in-law's brother-in-law. So we're really not related <laughs> at all. We're really not related at all, but we talk about it like we are, which is kind of amusing. It's kind of nice. It's yeah. like you have joint custody of Nate. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nate, you got mentioned on the podcast. Congratulations, there, there buddy. You go. So, so to all our listeners, we were really excited about Charles, and we did get to bring this up. But this podcast is brought to you by Barbasol. We haven't; it hasn't been brought to you by Barbasol in a couple episodes, but it is now brought to you by Barbasol again. The brand America trusts for a close, clean shave now has razors. Barbasol, and we are excited that this new deal with Barbasol also comes with some benefits for our listeners that will yep. be revealed in future weeks. Man, so, just weeks of tense negotiations back yes. and forth. Man, we were really just hashing it out really with them. <laughs> Hammer, <laughs> hammering it out, tense phone calls. I think I yelled at one point. Mark started crying. They put something on the table, and I said, that will not work. <laughs> <laughs> we need more. <laughs> and then we got Pete Smith on there talking on Twitter, <laughs> saying, yeah. if those people at Barbasol don't understand how good they got it. <laughs> yeah, it was great. We, we had them in the palm of our hand. We Let's got it done, and we are excited for another year of the Sin of Our Fathers bar- podcast presented by Barbasol. Yep, and we're passing the savings on to you. So continue to listen um, and stay tuned for that. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. We really enjoyed it. Um, be sure to follow us on Twitter, um, at Sin of Our Fathers. Thanks for sending us emails, sinofourfathers at gmail.com. We love you. We appreciate you. Go Browns. Go Browns. Go Browns.